0: The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now here's Dr. Dan. If you have your Bibles, join me if you would in Revelation chapter seven, Revelation chapter seven. This week, of course, is Thanksgiving and many of you will continue a great tradition of overeating turkey and pumpkin pie and perhaps gathering around a table and sharing things with each other that you are thankful for this last year. Let me add one one more statement. Thankful to God for this year. As Christians, we're not just generally thankful. We are thankful to God. And so last week, uh, we had this thing called the Friends Giving. And so the teens from the youth group came over our home and Chrissy and I and, and Pastor Rob and Ashley and Brad and Carla, we had a, just a good time with them and we shared with each other some of the things that we were thankful. And, and we are thankful for our salvation, thankful for our church, thankful for our family, and thankful for our country. And, that's a good practice for us to get into because in heaven we'll be saying thank you. In heaven we, there is thanksgiving. We see that in Revelation chapter 7, verse 12. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's word. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for today. We thank You for uh, this time of year with the wonderful holidays and the time with family. and We pray that we would enjoy them in a way that brings honor and glory to You and is a blessing to others. Pray for those today who are not well in body, that You'd strengthen them. Uh, Those perhaps who are watching from home, we pray that You'd be with them and strengthen them and, and encourage them. We pray that our time together in worship would be filled with gratitude and we would be stronger in the Lord because of our time this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Did you know that there is Thanksgiving in heaven? As it would turn out, In heaven, worship is a priority. It is essential. During the time of COVID, when I guess it's still around, I was reminded this morning that people still are getting COVID. But during COVID, uh, you may remember, but worship services were declared to be not essential. And I remember reading an article that was written by, a, I would say a guy who doesn't go to church. We'll just say it that way. He thought it was ironic at best that you could, in Chicago, go to the marijuana dispensary. That was essential. But church services were not essential. It was considered not vital. But the pilgrims did not see it that way. They risked their lives, the lives of their family. They left their country to come to the United States to create a new world that they might be able to worship Jesus Freely. Because worship was essential to them and they didn't want the king telling them how to worship unless that king's name was Jesus. And so they wished everything to come to this land. And they created a system that allowed people, whether you were Jewish, Muslim, atheist, you could come to America and even if you didn't believe in the God of the founders of the country, you were going to be guaranteed freedoms. Protection, blessing. Why? Because they viewed their our rights as being granted by God, not kings, not governments. And so they established a government whose, whose primary job was to ensure our freedoms, whether you were Christian, Jewish, Muslim, or nothing. Well, not nothing, no believing, no religion whatsoever. Why did they operate that way? They said, on this earth, there is no better way to ensure that people hear the Gospel and come to faith in Jesus Christ than we create a safe place where everyone can come and not be persecuted for their lack of faith or a difference of faith. They said this is the best way to reach people with the Gospel. And they also believed you can't force someone to believe you can present the Gospel but you can't force them. You can't, you can't persecute them. That's not godly. And so a nation was established. But it began with a desire to worship. Our country today isn't sure that worship is essential. And sadly, many Christians would not disagree. It doesn't appear to build houses or provide medical services or pot. But in truth... America exists because people wanted to worship Jesus freely. Today we are trying to live without making worship a priority. America, many Christians included, are trying to carry on in life as though Jesus were not important. But America is starting to wilt because it has been disconnected from its roots. And I would tell you it's been done on purpose. It's not an accident. It didn't just fall into disrepair. Things were done on purpose to disconnect us from the root. And it's wilting and dying in front of us. When you cut a flower from its root, it will still look beautiful for a time, but soon it will begin to wilt and well, because it's already dying. Because it is not connected to the root. I remember I took a girl to, to prom. She was nowhere near as pretty as Chrissy, but... I took her to prom and her mom had this, I don't know, not habit, a craft she liked to do with flowers from important events. She would put them in this, I don't know what it was, some sort of powder and it would preserve the flower making it look as though it were alive even though it was dead. And so sometimes as Christians we could have an appearance as though we are alive but we are in fact dying inside because we've become disconnected from The root At Christmas time, which is coming up in a month, some probably already have their Christmas trees up. Praise the Lord for that. But some of you will have live Christmas trees. And you will put it in a tree stand with some water, which hopefully will make it look okay for a while. And some will even put Sprite or 7 up in there because the sugar keeps the tree looking good a little longer. But soon enough, the bristles will fall off and you will take it out to the front lawn. Because it's dying. Why? Because it's been disconnected from the root. Our, our world is not sure that this is true, but you can put it down. The reason things are falling apart around us is because we have disconnected from the, wor- the root. We have decided that worship is not essential. So Christians, hear me loud and clear. Strong Christians and strong churches are those who recognize that worship is essential. Churches that are weak, Christians that are weak and wilting, are those who have determined that worship is not essential. Well, they'd never say that. We'd never say that, but our actions say otherwise. In our passage this morning, Revelation chapter 7, I wrestled at length with what is the take home point for Christians who are living on this side of the rapture. Here's the take-home point. You ready? Here's Here's the headline. Worship is a priority in heaven, therefore it should be a priority on earth. Why? Well, redeemed people worship God with hearts filled with gratitude because they are thankful because they have been saved. But why are they thankful? Well, redeemed people are thankful because they have been spared God's wrath. One of the things I want you to hear me loud and clear. We are not saved from Satan. We are saved from God's wrath. The distinction isn't, couldn't be any bigger than that. And so people who are redeemed are thankful because they know they've been spared from God's wrath. We see this beginning in chapter 7, verse 1 through 8. We will read through, I will pause and comment. There is a lot going on here, so I will do my best to uh, make it clear as day, plain as day. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, all right, pause. We didn't get any farther. After what? Well, chapter 4 and 5, we saw John was given a glimpse of heaven, he saw Jesus. He saw God the Father, and he saw angels, and he saw elders who were made up of the Jewish people, and also 12 from the tribes of Israel, and 12 from the, from the apostles, and they're worshiping God. And then in chapter 6, we saw the opening of these seals that were around this scroll that had the deed to the earth, and also apparently judgment. And so as these seals are opened by Jesus, who's only the only one qualified to open them, then we see the ride of the four horsemen. My interpretation of the four horsemen, horsemen—I think, I, I think this is correct, they are human beings trying to solve the world's problems without God. Right? So think World Economic Forum on steroids. Think, think the United Nations on steroids. All the king's horses and all the king's men are trying to put the world back together again, but they are doing it without God. Not only are they not keeping God in their knowledge and His standards, but God is no longer tapping the brakes on human immorality and sinfulness. He's saying, you want to live without me? I'll remove my people and I will stop standing in the way. And all of a sudden, all the king's horses and all the king's men went out to solve the world's problems and it brought death and destruction and misery. And then in chapter 6, verse 9, God actually gets in on the act now. He sends His angels and says, Go now and dispense My wrath. And by the end of chapter 6, you see all these mighty men, all these poor people. It's equity. We finally got equity. And you know what they're saying together? They're hiding in caves saying, To the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Equity has finally come. We're all living in terror and, well, we're not. But the people who have rejected Christ are all living in terror of Him. That's the, so that's what's happened. And now, chapter seven, verse one. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, north, south, east, west, so that no wind might blow on the earth or on the sea. Or against any tree. I've never been in a tornado. I've been. I've seen the aftermath up close. But they tell me there's often a calm before the storm. And we have a calm in the middle of the storm. The eye of the hurricane. God is pausing, giving a temporary reprieve to the wrath. Why? Because just like our founding fathers knew, it is easier to get the Gospel message out when there's peace on the earth. But when there's chaos, it's hard to get the Gospel out. Not sure if that's true. Christian missionaries have been trying to meet Muslims with the gospel for centuries. And they keep getting killed for it. We have, in fact, there's a thing called the 1040 window, longitude, latitude. We've essentially, essentially found it impenetrable to the gospel. Except for the fact that Jesus is now appearing to Muslims in their dreams and they are getting saved. They're coming to faith in Jesus. The Jesus they weren't even looking for showed up to him. because our missionaries can't get there. Why? Because there's too much persecution. In this pause, the angels say stop. There's a brief respite on earth to allow for the gospel to go forward and people are going to get saved. Let's continue in verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. That's the east With the seal of the living God. Now let's pause. What seal is this? Well, what does this indicate? Well, the seal speaks of ownership. A seal was put on something to say, this belongs to so-and-so. And it also spoke of speaks here of the security of the believer. It doesn't guarantee no problems on earth, but it does guarantee you'll arrive in heaven and you won't face God's wrath. That's what the Christian has been promised. But then about this ownership. Well, in the Bible, there's this wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is. It says, We have been bought at a price, and our life is not our own. We've been bought from slavery to sin, from bondage set free to enjoy Christ and glorify him and enjoy him forever. We've been so that's the seal. The seal is then going to be placed on people who come to faith in Jesus Christ during a period of time known as the great tribulation. This from our perspective is still future. Events there are events that need to take place before this, one of them being the rapture where the church is removed and taken to heaven. But even then, after the church is removed, as we're about to see, people are 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 coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse, two, uh, verse three. Let's continue. And they were told not to harm the sea, saying, "Do not." Har- I missed a verse. And he called out with a loud voice to make the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. So here's the reprieve. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Pause for a second. There's a few different ways that Christians have tried to understand what he means when he says they're Israel. I see no compelling reason not to understand this as literally speaking about Jewish people. It's Israel. Let's continue, verse five. Twelve thousand from the tribe of Judah were sealed. Twelve thousand from the tribe of Judah, and from Gad, and from Asher and Naphtali, and twelve thousand from the tribe of Manasseh, and from Simeon and Levi and Issachar, verse 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. And 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin are sealed. These are Jews who repent of sin and unbelief in Jesus to faith in Jesus Christ. To refresh your memory, Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah and Savior. But by and large, the Jewish people rejected Him. Now, the early church was made up almost exclusively, if not exclusively, of Jews. But it was short order until Gentiles, non-Jewish people, started to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And since then, by and large, the Jewish people have rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior. There are Jews who come to Jesus for salvation. In the book of Romans chapter 9-11, through 11, which we looked at about two years ago, it says, look, the Jewish people have essentially been cut off from God But a time will come when, because they've rejected Christ. But a time is going to come when they will turn in large measure to Jesus for salvation. And we see that in Revelation 7. This is future still. But that promise is being fulfilled. And thus they receive the seal of the living God. This doesn't mean that they don't have problems. They are living at the time called the Great Tribulation. This doesn't remove problems from their lives. But what it does is remove the big problem of God's wrath. They live at a time when the chaos of the world is it's unprecedented level. But they're spared from God's wrath, although perhaps not from man's wrath. And they live in a time when there's all kinds of death and disease. They're not going to be immune from that. But they're guaranteed a certainty of, a, of living in heaven with Jesus. The living here, the living God thus seals people who belong to him, protecting us from his wrath. So what's the deal with this living God? I'm going to get big theology and then I hope to bring it down to easy to manage concepts. The living God. Well, theologians would say something like that means that God is the God who has life in and of himself. He is the uncreated Creator. Nobody made God. I saw a debate with an atheist and a a Christian man, a brilliant Christian man who's a Oxford scientist named John Lennox. And then in debate, the, the, the 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 guy, the atheist says, "Well, you're saying God created everything, so then you still have to answer the question, who made God?" And he said, "You fundamentally misunderstand what we say about God. As the living God, He is the uncreated Creator." Now this brilliant Oxford man turned to the atheists and said, well, you believe that the universe created everything, so who created the universe? And we're still waiting. Luck and random chance is the alternative. I'm going to stick with a wise God created everything because I've never seen anything except for death and destruction and a mess created by, well, nothing. actually nothing creates anything. You can't even create a mess with nothing. When I was in school, they said there was this little speck of dust. Pause, where's the dust come from? This little speck of dust exploded and created everything. And intelligent people believe this. Why? A man named Aldous Huxley answered that question once. He said something, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I suppose we jumped at evolution by natural selection because it got rid of our need to explain things with God, and God was getting in the way of our sexual freedom. Boy, was that guy honest. I mean, I appreciate his candor, but he's still under judgment. The living God is the only real God. That's what he's saying. Everything else that has been created has been that exists has been created. Everything that lives, even rocks, which don't live, but they were created by God. But humans have this ability to take things which are created and make gods out of them. Not sure if that's true. A brief survey of history will serve nicely here. Uh, Rome. When you hear Augustus Caesar, that is a that is a declaration by the Roman people that he was God. They worshipped kings as gods. They did it in Babylon. That's why Daniel was almost killed for it, because he and his buddies wouldn't worship the king as though he were God. There's only one God, and you ain't him. We're not doing it. And so there's this living God. Uh, and sometimes people have worshipped animals and statues. In America, a lot of people don't worship statues, but the first time I can remember sharing the Gospel with somebody was a, a kid from a family that was, I believe, Hindu, and they did worship statues. But we don't really do that by, the, by and large as America, but we do worship money and entertainment. Um, there's a lot of things that we worship instead of God. Anything Here's what happens. God gives us these good things. Beautiful things to enjoy. But when those things become more important to us than God, they have become an idol. Not sure if you would blow off... My friend Joe used to say, I blew off God on Sunday. That's how he said it when we were in high school. That meant he didn't go to church. So if there's something that would cause you to blow off God because it was more important and more fun to you, that thing might just be an idol. See, in heaven, here's the headline. Worship is a priority, therefore it should be a priority on earth. As a pastor, as a preacher, I always wrestle with the question, objection, relevance. I'm assuming you want to know what the relevance of a passage about the future has for us today. The relevance is this. There is an example set for us by the people in heaven, and in heaven, worship and thanksgiving is a priority. And as Christians, this shouldn't be hard for us to understand you. We serve the living God. And we were under His wrath and judgment. But His wrath and judgment fell on His Son who took our place. And then He raised Him from the dead. So the living God seals those who belong to Him. And this gives us hope and security. And then these 144,000 people spoken of here are Jewish people who come to receive Jesus as their Messiah and Savior during the time of the Great Tribulation. And there's this massive amount of people, and as we'll see as this unfolds, there's then not just Jews, but Gentiles. If you're not sure what that means, a Gentile is anybody who's not Jewish. That's basically the biblical understanding of it. And what we see is God fulfilling promises God made this promise to Abraham all these years ago. People think the book of Genesis isn't relevant. I've got news for you. God's still fulfilling that promise to Abraham that he was going to have so many descendants that you couldn't count them. But God's mind was, it wasn't just descendants through natural biology, through reproduction. It was that. But also, anybody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ is adopted into the family of God. They are grafted into this thing that God started with Abraham. God fulfills His promises and He gives salvation. What is salvation? We've talked about it, but I want to give you one more thought before we move forward. Salvation is when we who have earned God's wrath are spared from His wrath. Christians, we are redeemed people who have been spared from God's wrath. Therefore, we should worship him. Redeemed people worship God. Look at verse 9 through 12. After this, I, that's John, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, And peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Pause. I'm about to make the American multiculturalist angry, but I'm just quoting Jesus, quoting the Bible. There is salvation in no other name except for Jesus Christ. That's awfully exclusive. Yes. God makes distinctions. And He is not the one keeping you from coming to Jesus for salvation. That's you. In your free will, you have chosen freely to sin and reject Christ. There is salvation from God's wrath and no other name except Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's continue verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The desire of heaven, including the angels and all the saints who came to heaven before during the rapture and all those who come to Christ during the great tribulation, the the desire of heaven is that mankind will give God the glory that He is due. That seems to be the primary concern of heaven, certainly in chapter uh, seven of, of Revelation. What's going on here? Well, now we've moved from Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus, our Jews rather to now Gentile believers. Here's what I want you to know about something. It doesn't take long of reading the Bible to realize Israel's pretty important in God's plan. God's plan of salvation and many other things, too many to talk about in a Sunday morning, involve the Jewish people. But God's plan is bigger than the Jewish people. It includes Gentiles. But I want you to know something. When you see people defending people who... We used to say about a year ago, we we, we, we believe victims. But now we say we believe believe victims unless it's Jews who have had their babies' heads cut off by terrorists. Then we're not so sure that we believe victims. We believe victims unless they were raped by terrorists and then we're going to defend Hamas. We celebrate women unless they were Jewish women. The world hates the Jewish people for some reason. Can I suggest to you that it's because God's plan runs through Israel and Satan opposes it. When I see college students who should be brilliant but because they go to Harvard, when I see them celebrating terrorists, I think, what has happened to you? It's Satan's work. It's Satan's work. God's plan runs through Israel. He is not done with the Jewish people. I remember hearing this Jewish man who's not a Christian saying that the the Jewish people don't have a better friend in the world than the evangelical Christian. I hope that's still true. Because for a long time we've been defenders of the Jews. Because we recognize that they have a special place in God's plan. For some reason, our country has seen people turn against victims of terrorism. Can you believe this? Why? Satan. Satan has them boxed in. Smart kids, smart adults who should know better. Redeemed people know that they deserve God's wrath and are grateful that they have been saved by grace through faith. When there is no room for arrogance and ingratitude for redeemed people, There we are, Jews and Gentiles worshiping God. There is also always room for thanksgiving. This is a side note that I don't think is exactly connected to our passage, but for some reason it has become popular to be ungrateful for things. People hate this country who grew up here. Everyone else wants to move here, but you think it's terrible. Why don't you trade places with them if it's that bad? No, I'm thankful for my country. If you don't like the country, well, that's fine. Keep it to yourself. I don't want to hear it. There is no better place to live. Why? Because our founding fathers, not perfect men, recognized that laws were, to be gi- laws were given by God. You want to know why we have civil rights? They didn't exist before the Christians created them. Well, actually, we didn't create them. We recognized that God created them, and we tried to create a nation that gave civil liberties. The atheist countries don't have them. Why do we actually care whether there's a thing called a just war? Because the Christians after the wars said this: ha- we have to put laws in place because what we're doing is unconscionably wicked. I've got news for you. The atheists didn't come up with that. The Christians did. I'm preaching now. Church... We should worship God out of gratitude, because God's wrath for our sin fell on Jesus at the cross, rather than on us. We we could not earn our salvation; it had to be purchased for us and then given us. If you are if and given to us, if you are trying to earn salvation, trying to earn heaven by being good, listen. I'm glad that you're trying to be a good citizen, but trying to earn heaven by being good is a fool's errand. You cannot be good enough to get into heaven. Yeah, this preacher's mean. I'm not. Satan wants you on that fool's errand. I want you to, I want for you what God wants for you. Repent of sin, come to Jesus in faith, and then out of gratitude, live good lives. That's the biblical perspective on good living. We live good lives because we've been blessed out of gratitude. Out of gratitude. I'm not preaching this morning because I'm trying to earn heaven. Heaven's already been earned for me. It's been given to me. I preach this morning because I want to say thanks. Alex and the praise team were singing this morning. Not because they want to earn their way into heaven. It wasn't an audition. They're saying thank you. Redeemed people are redeemed people only through Christ Jesus. Verse 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now that's imagery that a Christian probably knows if they've been in Sunday school. But the blood of the Lamb... Through Christ's blood shed on the cross, our sins are removed. The theological word is expiated. It means it's removed from you. It means that you're forgiven. It means that you're righteous and thus they have these white robes. Listen, when we get, when we get saved, the Bible describes it this way. You have Christ's righteousness put on you like the way I put on my suitcase this morning. So now God's looking down from heaven and He doesn't see that I'm a sinner. He sees his son's righteousness. He doesn't see that I snapped at my kid this morning. There's a confession. He doesn't see that. He sees Christ's righteousness. It's like I'm, it's described here as a white robe. That's what, that's, that's us, Christian. That's others who have believed in Jesus before us at the same time as us in America and Africa. They're clothed in righteousness. These worshiping with the angels are those who have had the condemnation for their sin washed away. That is why they continue. They can enjoy God's presence. We can't get into God's presence when we're covered with sin. You're not wearing the correct attire to get into heaven unless you are wearing Christ's righteousness, which is put on you the moment you call on Jesus for salvation and call on Him in faith. We will worship God out of gratitude For what he has saved us from and what he has saved us for. The Westminster Catechism, written about 500 years ago, said the chief end of man, the chief purpose, the chief reason we exist is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Christian, can I tell you something? A lot of times, I don't know, maybe it's just the way I think, but I've always, I used to think, That forever really is... We're talking about future stuff. That's not biblically correct. That's not philosophically correct. It's not even... It's not biblically correct. Forever start is now. And now. And now. And all the and now is until, well, eternity. And so worship, if worship is a priority in heaven, it's supposed to be a priority here on earth. One of the most beautiful things I ever got to see which very much changed the way I viewed some things. I used to get to lead worship at this nursing home in Ellington. Uh, Not every week we rotated, but I would see these senior saints come down the hallway, and it looked so difficult. I could tell their hips hurt, their joints hurt. Some of them had to be rolled down. And when I saw this, I realized, my goodness, while it's a hassle to get four kids dressed to go to church, it doesn't hurt. Why are they doing this? Because worship is a priority to them. So they just kept coming. It wasn't because the preaching was great. A lot of times it was over their heads. I I suspect you can imagine what that's like. But they kept coming because worship mattered, because Jesus mattered, because they were thankful. See, worship is heaven's priority. It should be our priority on earth. Worship is gathering for worship. Getting together with other believers. When we see heaven, when you gather on Sunday morning to worship with other Christians, it's a foretaste of heaven. One difference in heaven, between between heaven and now, you ready? There's a lot of differences, but one difference about worship, I thought about this this morning. In heaven, life is perfect. Our, our friends and loved ones don't get sick and die. We don't get sick and die. There's no war, no cancer, no, no governments, no one to vote for. There's a king and that's it. And we're all happy about it. On earth, we don't have all that stuff. On earth, worship gives us strength. In heaven, we we don't have to worship in heaven because we needed to get through the week. We worship in heaven because we just were like, "Thank you, Lord, for saving us from all of that. Thank us for not. Thank you for uh, putting your wrath on your son and instead of instead of us. And thank you for raising him from the dead." See, worship is heaven's priority, and it should be our priority on earth. The question for you this morning and for me is: Is gathering for worship a priority for you? It's transformative. When God's redeemed people worship Him, we feel God's presence. I better move forward. I just looked at the clock. Verse 15-17. Therefore they are before, God, before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Redeemed people will enjoy the presence of God forever. But forever starts now. But let's talk really quick about those things. Who's Jesus Christ? Well, He's the Good Shepherd. He's also described here as the Lamb. Once again, deep theology. Let me bring it down. You ready? Jesus is the Lamb for multiple multiple reasons. I'm going to give you two or three. Number one, He was described in the Bible as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's also described as the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, which means that God's plan was always that redemption would go through Jesus Christ and no one else. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's also the Good Shepherd. He was also a priest. And as a priest, he offered himself on that cross. As a lamb, what are we talking about there? Well, the Bible says all people are like sheep in that we've all gone astray. We've all sinned. Jesus came and lived among us. And he was very much like us except for two things. Number one, he was 100% God and 100% man. Call that the incarnation. He also never sinned. Because he never sinned, he was qualified to die as a sacrifice in our place. He was the sacrificial lamb, and he was also the lamb who wandered about amongst us lost sheep. He knows what it's like to be us, to have friends turn on us, to have family members think we're crazy. Holidays are coming. That might happen. Jesus knows. He Big, big popular word today, He identified with us in our suffering. He knows what it's like to be us. So He's the shepherd and the lamb. And the hope that we have in Jesus is that a day will come when we will enjoy perfect peace and rest in the presence of God. When we worship God from thankful hearts today, we get a foretaste of heaven. And we get to feel God's presence. Psalm 22.3 says, God inhabits the praise presence. He inhabits the praises of His people. Elsewhere we're told the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm going to bring this, to a, bring this plan to a landing. A whole chapter, not bad for, for one service. Let's land it though. Sometimes I've heard Christians, and I, thankfully I haven't heard you guys say it to me, so thank you. I just stopped getting stuff out of going to church. I stopped going to that church because I just would not get anything out of it. And I always knew there was something wrong with that line of talk, but I didn't fully get how to explain. Number one, I get, I've sat through boring preachers every Sunday since I've been here, right? I get that. Pastors labor long to make sure the Bible is understandable and to hopefully present it in a way that you see the relevance. But it doesn't always work out. And sometimes they're not singing my favorite song. But we're not singing to me, so... Number one. And number two, if we're talking about worship in the sense of, I, I just stopped getting stuff out of it, could it be... That you've misunderstood worship because worship is not about you. It's about him and saying thank you. In heaven, we're going to be saying thank you a lot. Why not keep, why not start to practice now? I sat with Bob Dinley this morning and prayed, and I said, Bob, I probably don't, I don't know if I've got you in mind this morning. But maybe I do. My challenge, even for those who are already doing this, keep gathering for worship as a priority. It is essential. No matter what the government tells you. We're from the government. We're here to help. But our solutions don't always work. But God's does as we come to our time of invitation, our response for the Christian, I simply say this to you. I think Jesus' goal for us this morning is that we, if we've, whether we've, you could, sometimes you're in church and you're 100 miles away. I've been there. To reconnect with Jesus because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Reconnect. And for the person who has yet to call on Jesus for salvation, today is the day to connect with Jesus as Lord and Savior. He calls you. Turn from your sin. Turn to Him in faith. And He will save you. So as Alex and the praise team come, I invite the church to come to Him to reconnect with Jesus or perhaps to make the determination in your heart and soul that worship will continue to be a priority for you. And for the person who needs saved, you come. I'd love to pray with you to help you call on Jesus for salvation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.